Bezrat Hashem, we're going to continue studying the Gemara of Shabbos. We are on page 45a, daf mem hey amud aleph. At the end of the last daf, we were discussing ways that you can move certain things by placing other items on top of it. And so the Gemara was talking about a wagon. And the Gemara said over there that if there's no money on a wagon, you can move the wagon even though there had been money on it during twilight. And they had said that the Mishnah that we were talking about was in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon's opinion was that uh, there is no prohibition about muksa, about things that you can't touch or things that are set aside and you can't use them. But Rav holds with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Yehuda does say that there's a prohibition regarding muksa. And so in that particular case with the wagon, the wagon became muksa from use during the twilight period of time, and it remained prohibited for the entire period of Shabbos. And so the Gemara continues in the top of 45a, hachiname, so too it's reasonable to say that Rav holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, because Rav said a person can place a lamp on top of a palm tree on Erev Shabbos so that it would burn on Shabbos. Um, but a person may not put a lamp on top of a palm tree on a yontif, on a festival. So the Gemara says, Bishlama granted, if you say that Rav holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda in this manner, so that's why there's a distinction between Shabbos and a festival. So the lamp is muksa on Shabbos, and it is, so a person is not going to come to carry it. However, a person is permitted to carry the lamp on a yontif. And since the person is permitted to carry this lamp on Yontif, so there's a concern that a person in this case would climb the, pl- the palm tree and then make use of that tree on Yontif and transgress a rabbinical uh, iser, a rabbinical prohibition, against making use of something that's connected to the ground on a festival. So that's the, a little bit of an explanation as to what they're talking about. However, if you say, the Gemara continues, that Rav holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Shimon would maintain that the lamp is not muksa on Shabbos. So what difference would there be between Shabbos and festival? So there wouldn't be a difference between the two. So the Gemara then asks, but does Rav really hold in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Huda that it is permitted to move an object that's muksa? But didn't they raise a dilemma before Rav? What's the ruling with regard to moving a Hanukkah candle from before the Chavere, uh, the Chavere um, and the, that term in the Gemara relates to uh, a Persian Zoroastrian fire priest, uh, the Zoroastrian religion. There's a prohibition about moving a Hanukkah candle in front of them on Shabbos. Because those priests prohibited lighting fires on certain days. That's part of their religion. So in order to prevent them from discovering that he lit Hanukkah candles, which was not a good thing to be discovered in those days, so it was necessary to move them very quickly. So he says to them, so you can do this. Apparently Rav doesn't hold that there is a prohibition of muksa, But the Gemara answers that this is not a proof because in that situation there was exigent circumstances and exigent circumstances are different. And Rav permitted this because of the danger that was involved from these uh, certain kinds of Zoroastrian fire priests. As Rav Kahana and Rav Ashi said to Rav on this matter, but is that of the halacha? He says to them, Rabbi Shimon is worthy to rely upon it in a shas and chak, in an in a exigent circumstance like this.
So about this same matter, Reish Lakish raised a dilemma before Rabbi Yochanan. He said, wheat kernels that a person sowed inside the ground, and they haven't taken root yet, right? So the danger is that a person could still gather them. So these wheat kernels and eggs that were placed beneath the hen so that the incubation process has begun. So what's the halacha regarding these cases? So the question that Rish Lakish is asking Rabbi Yochanan is, would Rabbi Shimon agree that in these cases it's usher to use them on Shabbos? So one side of the dilemma is like this, the Gemara says. So when is Rabbi Shimon not of the opinion that, that there is a isser of muksa? And the answer the Gemara gives is that in a case where a person does not reject the object with his own hands, meaning that he didn't perform an action that actually set this object to the side. However, in a case where he did reject it with his own hands, so Rabbi Shimon is of the opinion that there is a prohibition of muksa. So in this situation, when the person sows the wheat, in essence, he's rejecting it with his own hands. So the same is true regarding the egg. By placing it underneath the hen, so that it hatches, you're rejecting it. You're not using it for any other reason. You're, you're saying, I am going to reject this from you, so I'm going to put it under the hen. The other side of the dilemma is, perhaps there is no difference between the cases of Rabbi Shimon holding that there's no prohibition of muksa in either case. So Rabbi Yochanan says, back to Reish Lakish. So there's only an isser of muksa, according to Rabbi Shimon, in the case of oil that is inside a lamp while it's burning. Because that oil was set aside for a mitzvah, the mitzvah of lighting Shabbos candles. And it was also set aside for prohibition. It's prohibited because of the concern that a person would accidentally extinguish the flame if he moves the, moves the lamp while it's still burning. So the Gemara asks, and does he not hold that the prohibition of muksa applies to an object that's set aside only for its mitzvah without any kind of prohibition? But wasn't in taught in Abraisa, one who put a roof on a sukkah in accordance with the halakhic requirements and then decorated it to make it look nice with colored hangings and tapestries. And he hung nuts and peaches and almonds and pomegranates and grape branches and wreaths made of stalks and wine and oils and fine flour, all of these things to make the sukkah look nice. It's prohibited to supply himself from them until the conclusion of the last day of Yontif. Meaning, since they were all set aside for the mitzvah of sukkah, for making the sukkah more beautiful, anything else, is, as far as a use of those items, are prohibited. You can't use, the, for example, the grape branches that you use as a decoration. You can't use them for anything else. And if you stipulate that at the time that you hang them in the sukkah, so if you say that you're not designating them exclusively for this purpose of being a decoration but rather you intend to use them for other things as well. So their use is entirely in accordance with this stipulation, meaning you can use them like this. So if you say, when you're hanging the grape branch in your sukkah and you say, this grape branch, I'm going to use it for the dual purpose of making the sukkah beautiful, but also I'm going to use them for grapes if I need to, then you're able to do it. And from where do we know that this brysa is in accordance with the opinion of Rebbe Shimon. So this b'risa doesn't have an attribution to it. We don't know in whose opinion it is. So the Gemara is going to attempt to discern this. So we learned this from a comparison to a b'risa that was taught by Rebbe Chia Bar Yosef, because Rebbe Chia Bar Yosef taught before Rebbe Yochanan. He said that a person cannot take wood from the sukkah 
that was constructed for shade on any kind of yontov, even if the wood fell from the sukkah on yontov. And the reason is because it's prohibited to destroy the sukkah on yontov, so it was set aside before yontov for the entire duration of the festival. That wood was designated for that sukkah before sukkahs, and so you can't use it for anything else. Rather, the Gemara says, a person can take can uh, take wood only from what is beside the sukkah, meaning from bundles of wood that aren't being used for that sukkah. Because when he placed them there, this other bundles of wood, his intention was to use them during the Yom Tov. And Rabbi Shimon, the Gemara says, permits taking wood even from the sukkah itself. And the reason is because he holds, Rabbi Shimon holds that there's no prohibition of muksa. And Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon agree that taking wood from the, from the sukkah that's constructed for the sukkah's festival is also prohibited during the Yom Tov. And if a person made a stipulation about that wood, that he's going to be able to use it during the, during the Yom Tov, everything goes according to the stipulation. So what's going on here? Apparently, so Rabbi Shimon is going to prohibit using an object that was set aside only to perform a mitzvah, even though it wasn't set aside because of a, any kind of prohibition. So therefore, the Gemara is, is, is going to tweak Rabbi Yochanan's statement here. And it's going to say, really, it should say that there's no halacha of muksa, according to Rabbi Shimon, except in a case similar to oil in the candle. It's not necessary that there has to be both a prohibited labor and a prohibition due to a mitzvah. So rather, because, the Gemara says, since it was uh, muksa because of the mitzvah alone, so it's thereby set aside for that for that iser, for that prohibition. And it was also stated that Rabbi Chia bar Abba said, that Rabbi Yochanan said, there is only a prohibition of muksa, according to Rabbi Shimon, in a case that's similar to oil in the, in the candle while it's still burning. Since it was already set aside for the mitzvah, it was set aside for its prohibition as well. The huksa isro is, is the term in the Gemara. So I'm a Rav Yehuda Mar Shmuel. Rav Yehuda says that Shmuel says, so there's only a prohibition of muksa, according to Rabbi Shimon, in the cases of dried figs and raisins, and raisins alone. So now we have another opinion about when Rabbi Shimon holds a, that there is, a, there is a prohibition of muksa. So the case is that a person takes figs and raisins to his roof so that he would dry them out in the sun. That's the only situation in which Rabbi Shimon holds that they are prohibited on Shabbos due to the prohibition of muksa, according to what Rav Yehuda said that Shmuel said. Again, I would say that since in the, in the initial stages of the process of drying out, so we learn that they, they emit a bad smell and, they, and they're not fit for consumption. So a person in his mind sets them aside because you're not going to eat something like that. The Gemara brings a challenge and says, what about other items? Are other items are not included in this prohibition of muksa? But was it, in ta- it taught in a brisa? One who was eating figs and he left some of them over and he took them up to the roof to make them into dried figs. And also one who was eating grapes and left some of them over and took them up to the roof to make them into raisins. So a person cannot eat them on Shabbos unless he designates them to be eaten before Shabbos. Otherwise, they're muksa. And they're iser. They're prohibited. And you would say, the Gemara says, the same thing with regard to peaches and quinces and all the types of fruit that a person can leave out to dry. It would be prohibited to eat them all on Shabbos due to the muksa. Gemara now seeks to clarify this. So whose opinion is this brisa? 
So if you say that it's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, then this brisa is is extra. We don't. I mean, it doesn't. It's an extra brisa, because if in the case where a person did not reject it with his own hands, he holds that there is a prohibition of muksa. In a case where he rejected by his own own hands, all the more so. In a case, so it, that it would be it would be uh, prohibited. So there's no need to articulate this halacha in this particular case. This brisa is extra. Doesn't doesn't come to teach us anything new. Ella, love Rabbi Shimon. Rather, isn't this price in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon? Because apparently he expands the halachas of muksa beyond dried figs and raisins. So the Gemara, so that, that the Gemara now rejects this idea and says, actually, this halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that there is a prohibition of muksa. And the case that was cited here, where a person was eating figs, it's necessary in order to teach us a chiddush, a novel halacha. Because it could enter your mind to say that since a person was in the course of eating, he doesn't require prior designation. Meaning that if he would just change his mind, he can immediately go back up and get the dried figs that he placed on the roof. So therefore the Bryasa teaches us that since he brought them up to the roof, he's already diverted his attention away from them and they are completely muksa. You can't, you can't, he can't change his mind in the middle and say, oh, I really want to go have some of those figs. So regarding the same topic, Rabbi Shimon bar Rebbe, so this, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, raises a dilemma before Rebbe. As we flip over to Daf Memhe Amud Beis, 45b. And this Rabbi Shimon says, unripe dates uh, that are placed in baskets to ripen, and until they're ripe, so they can only, it's not, it's not very easy to eat them. So according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, what is their legal status as far as moving them on Shabbos? Are they muksa or not? So Rebbe says back to him, so there's only a prohibition of muksa according to Rebbe Shimon in the case of dried figs and raisins alone. We've seen this thought just a few minutes ago. The Gemara challenges this. And does Rebbe not hold that there is a prohibition of muksa? But didn't we learn in a Mishnah that on a Yom Tov, before they're slaughtered, a person can neither give water to nor slaughter a non-domesticated desert animal? Animals that are always grazing in the field. A person would give water to them to make the removal of their hides easier. So this challenge is that since people don't generally tend to these kind of animals, they're considered muksa and they can't be used. However, a person can give water to and slaughter domesticated animals. And it was taught in Abraisa that these are non-desecrated desert animals. Any animals that leave their sheds, their, their barns, on Pesach and enter their sheds only with the advent of the rainy season. Domesticated animals are any kind of animal that go out to graze beyond the city limits, and they come and they sleep inside the city limits. Rebbe says, so these and those are both domesticated. And these are the non-domesticated desert animals that are prohibited because of moksa. Any animals that graze in the grazing area and neither enter the town during summer nor during the rainy season. So if it's these animals that are, are uh, usher to give water to or to slaughter on a yomto. So apparently, according to this proof, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi holds that there is a prohibition of muksa even in the case of animals. So the Gemara now presents several resolutions to this apparent contradiction. If you like, you can say that these non-domesticated animals that graze in these grazing areas throughout the year, they are also similar to dried figs and raisins. And so even Rabbi Shimon would agree to this halacha. 
And you can also say instead that when Rabbi Yehuda Nasi told his son that answer, he was saying it to him in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, but he himself doesn't hold that way. You could say that Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was explaining something to his son, but he wasn't adopting that ruling of Rabbi Shimon as his own. And if you like, you could say that in that b'risa, he spoke to them in accordance with the statement of the Chachamim, of the Rabbanim, and this is how his statement has to be understood. It would be like him saying, in my opinion, I do not hold that there is a prohibition of mux at all. However, according to your opinion, at least agree with me that animals that leave the shed on Pesach and only come into the shed when it becomes the rainy season, these animals are domesticated. And the rabbi said to them, no, these are actually non-domesticated animals. Amar so regarding this dispute, regarding the laws of Muksa, Rabbi Babarchana said that Rabbi Yochanan said. So they said that the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who holds that there's no prohibition of Muksa. The Gemara asks, but did Rabbi Yochanan actually say this? Didn't an elder from Karoya, and some say that he was from Saroya, raise a dilemma before Rabbi Yochanan? And that dilemma was that regarding uh, a hen's roost. So what's the legal status as far as moving that on Shabbos is concerned? Rabbi Yochanan said to him, isn't the roost made exclusively for the hens? So, meaning the whole point of having a roost is so that the hens are inside of it. And since it's not designated for use by people, so you can't move it. It would be Osar. So apparently then Rabbi Yochanan would hold in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda regarding Muksa. But the Gemara answers, what are we dealing with here? With a special kind of case. And the case is that there is Excuse me, there is a dead chick inside that hen, that roost. And moving the roost is then usher because of the dead chick. And the dead chick is considered muksa. So the Gemara continues to ask. So this is all fine and good, according to the opinion of Mar Barameimar in the name of Rav, who said that Rabbi Shimon agrees in the case of animals that died on Shabbos that they're prohibited on Shabbos due to muksa. However, according to the opinion of Mar, the son of Rav Yosef, in the name of Rava, who said, that Rabbi Shimon was in disagreement, even in the case of animals that died, and also said that they're permitted and they're not prohibited as muksa. So what do you say about that? So the Gemara says, well, what are we dealing with? In the, what's the case? We're dealing with a case where there is an egg that was laid on Shabbos inside the roost. Because it was laid on Shabbos, so it's considered muksa, and you can't use the egg. So the thought of using it never really entered anyone's mind before Shabbos, because it wasn't there before Shabbos. But didn't Rav Nachman say, one who is of the opinion that there is a prohibition of muksa is also of the opinion that there is a prohibition of an object that came into being on Shabbos or on a festival. And one who is not of the opinion that there is a prohibition of muksa is also not of the opinion that there is a prohibition of an object that came into being. Like, for example, the situation where an egg was laid on Yantif, so that egg was, had come into being on Yantif, and you can't use it during Yantif, but you can use it afterwards, so that's one situation. So this case is no different than other cases of Muksa. The Gemara is going to respond to this by saying, so this is referring to a case where the roost has an egg with a chick inside of it. And even Rabbi Shimon would agree that moving an egg of that sort, you can't do it, because it's neither fit for human consumption nor is it fit for animal consumption. Now this explanation 
was brought so that we could explain that Rabbi Yochanan could hold in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. However, the Gemara says, when Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of Rabbi Yosef, came, and every time the Gemara says when a, that a person comes, it means he came from Eretz Yisrael to Babylonia. So Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of Rabbi Yosef, said that Rabbi Yochanan said that the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda that there is a prohibition of muksa. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon that there's no prohibition of muksa. So we have a machalokis here between those two opinions. Rabbi Yosef says, this is what Rabbi Babarchana said that Rabbi Yochanan said. They said that the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. So by inference we can understand they said that. However, he himself doesn't hold that that's the halacha. Amar Abayi the Rav Yosef. Abayi says to Rav Yosef, and you yourself did not hold that Rabbi Yochanan rules in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda even before Rav Yitzchak came and cited this statement. Didn't you? Didn't Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Asi happen to come to the house of Rabbi Abba, who was from Haifa, and a candelabrum fell onto Rabbi Asi's cloak, and he didn't move it? What's the reason that he didn't lift it up to move it? The Gemara says, is it not because Rabbi Asi was a student of Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, which holds that there is a prohibition of Moksa. So apparently Rabbi Yochanan holds in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yossi said back to Abaye, Menarta ka'amras. You say a candelabrum? Are you citing a proof from the case of this candelabrum? A candelabrum is different, because there's a special halacha that applies in that case. As Rabbi Acha Barchanina uh, said that Rabbi Asti said that Rish Lakish issued a ruling in this in the city of Sidon, and he said that a candelabrum that can be moved in one of your hands, a person is permitted to move it on Shabbos. However, if it's so heavy that a person has to use two hands to move it, so it's also to move it. And Rabbi Yochanan said, we have permission to carry only in the case of an oil lamp, according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. However, regarding a candelabrum, both one that is carried in one hand and one that's carried in two hands, it's prohibited to move it. The Gemara asks, what's the reason that there is a unique isser regarding the case of a candelabrum? There's a unique prohibition here. Rabbah and Rav Yosef both said, since a person usually designates a fixed place for it, because the, it's big and it, it, its size and its use, you designate a special place for this menorah, so it's considered to be like a built-in part of the house. And moving the, candle, the, the candelabrum is like dismantling a house, which you can't do. Abayi says to Rav Yosef that a, a chuppah, a groom's canopy, is an object for which a person designates uh, a, uh, a set place. And nevertheless, Shmuel said in the name of Rabbi Chia that regarding Akilas Chasanim, a groom's canopy, as we flip over to 46a, regarding this groom's canopy, it is permitted to assemble it, and it's permitted to dismantle it on Shabbos. So if we have a situation where a permanent object like that can be assembled on Shabbos, and we don't have to worry about the prohibition of building on Shabbos, so all the more so, it should, be, it should not be considered building and dismantling regarding this menorah. Rather, Abaye says, so what's going on over here is it's referring to a special kind of candelabra made out of joints, removable type of parts. And then there's a concern because if it falls and it breaks into all these different parts when it's moved, a person might say, I'm going to come and fix it and reassemble it which would be tantamount to the Isra of crafting a vessel on Shabbos. So the Gemara says, if so, 
if it's referring to that kind of candelabrum, so what's the reason for the opinion of uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Reish Lakish, who permits moving this candelabrum? And for the answer to that question, Be'ezrus Hashem, we're going to continue with the shear on the top of page 46a. Be'ezrus Hashem.